Thank you for tuning in to the First Gen Hunter Podcast, the go-to resource for those seeking to establish a foundation in hunting knowledge, skills, and tactics. We are here tonight for selfish reasons, and I can't fully explain my selfish reasons yet. Alex knows, and our guest Cody <laughs> now knows because I told him. But uh, no, just on top of that, uh, we're going to talk elk, okay? So you can probably guess what the selfish reasons are for that. And and you can probably guess, you know, when I say Alex knows what's going on, you probably can put two and two together, which is a great time, by the way, to, to remind our listeners. You know, I was thinking of this. Today, while I was uh, working out in the field, Alex, I I always do the like the little commercial at the end. Let's get people, uh, let's keep them on their toes here a little bit, so you, they don't become an ad skipper. Yeah, I'm guilty of that too. But uh, <laughs> I try to I try to uh, work the ads into regular conversation to make them uh, uh, easier to listen to. But Alex is truly the best in the business at planning hunts. He's always talking with people trying to help them he's also a a like the most organized person i know and uh he keeps track of everything very well (laughs) and he has to so you don't have to worry about you know those horror stories where somebody sends somebody their money and they never get a product in return because the guy is so disorganized or whatever alex will take care of you to the end and uh he'll uh instantly increase your odds um, I would even say probably double your odds of success if you go with Alex, just because he's been there, hunted that. And if he, in a rare case, hasn't, he knows multiple people who have, he gets on the phone with them, picks their brain, finds the best info he can, and your chances are so much better. So uh, just want to give Alex a little shout out. We'll do the regular ad at the end, Alex, but I just wanted to say that you're a good man. And people okay. need to know. I appreciate it. it. <laughs> appreciate it. But uh, the other guy well, hold your secret tight though until you, you let it out. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> the The other guy on the line though tonight is a guy I've followed for a little while on Instagram. I don't know, maybe a year or so, and uh, just been interested in the stuff he posts. He's uh, he's got an eye for what for what uh, people want to see, and that's important if you're going to have a successful Instagram account. And uh, that would be Cody Idol. So Cody, I always liked the name Cody. By the way, you know when when I was when I was in grade school, I had a friend named Cody Grove, and uh, he was kind of like a he was kind of a little wild child, but we were we were good friends, and uh, because of that, I've always had a favorable opinion of the name Cody. Uh, but uh, Cody, thanks so much for coming on the show. Yeah, man, thank you guys for having me. Glad to be here. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know. I didn't know this until you said this. I did, so this being the first Gen Hunter podcast, I obviously didn't grow up hunting and in the hunting circle. Uh, but you mentioned to me that your dad, uh, did he, he started uh, North American Whitetail Magazine? Yeah, uh, my dad, uh, Dick Idle, and mm-hmm. another gentleman by the name of David Morris, who if you ever saw Tecamati, you know, oh yeah. His, yep. Uh, yep. Um, David's a great friend of the family, but, uh, and lived out in Montana. Uh, I mean, I think he's originally from Georgia, but, uh, okay, yeah. had, a, had a place just down the street from where I grew up out in Big Fork, Montana. 
Um, but him and my dad were the co-founders there. And then uh, my dad has written, you know, probably 200 articles for North American Whitetail. Wow. And then he's been on the cover quite a bit. And I, I don't remember the year. It was back in the 70s. I don't remember the year that he actually, you know, sold his stake in it. Um, but he went on to also write the book Legendary Whitetails. And he mm. owned all those deer. The hole in the horn, he owned that buck. And, um, wow. And, awesome. uh, yeah, eventually sold all those. And he's now in the Outdoor Legends Hall of Fame there in Nashville. So, um, That's so he's cool. got a, he's got crazy stories. And I know we talked doing a couple crazy stories. And the one I'll tell you here is in just a few is is one of his. But um, I was very fortunate to grow up with him. And um, we hunted in Africa and um, did a little bit of stuff on the Outdoor Channel uh, with with Africa and been up to Alaska and done that. And of course grew up in montana hunting so uh feel pretty blessed i yeah i think i did sure. everything backwards where a lot of my <laughs> friends are like you've already done all the things that you know that we all want to do and i just was very fortunate to be in the right place at the right time with the right dad and um you know and now one of the things that i still enjoy a group of friends and i go down to the king ranch every year and go hunting um that's in cool. texas here so that's Again, really cool. Just very blessed. It's awesome. Man. Yeah, that's 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 really cool. Um, so yeah, let's jump into a story here, man. We were just talking right before we started. Most people come to a hunting podcast expecting to hear some good hunting stories, at least one. So we definitely yeah. we need we need one out of Cody here. And Cody said he's got two crazy stories for us, which are awesome. Got, got and two so bangers. yep, yep, two yep, bangers. Two bangers. <laughs> we love it. That's what we want to hear. Two hit singles. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's right. That's, that's right. Uh, so we're going to, we're going to get the two bangers out of him. We'll get the first one now and then we'll end on a hunting story. So stick around. You can get the other one. Um, but Cody, go ahead, man. Tell us, you know, just give us a wild one right off the bat here. Sure. So, uh, this is more one that I, I always keep, you know, for the campfire, just because it's something that uh, I feel like nobody's going to hear or see. And it just, it's almost one of those things. Once you hear it, uh, a lot of folks go like, you just don't see stuff like that anymore. Sure. Um, yeah. But uh, since we touched on my dad there, this is one uh, of his and, you know, he's been one to, you know, he's never been one to have to weave a tail. So it's like some of them sound crazy, but they're, they're just, and there's pictures and stuff to back it up. So um, anyway, so the, just kind of set the stage here. This was, back late seventies in Alaska. And mm. this is back. He was actually on a polar bear hunt up there. up north. Whoa. And for, for the folks that, you know, don't know much about the terrain, about 90% of the polar bears are up on the most Northern coast because they're out there hunting seals. Um, so they're not really, um, they're not prevalent if you go much more inland there you'll see one every now i worked up there for about four years in the oil fields up in the arctic and i saw a few but um anyway so you know as you can't fly and hunt on the same day um so what they do is they go they go fly um and they fly out over the polar ice caps and you know just to set the stage here um if if you've never seen it i've flown over it it's 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 you feel like you're on the moon it's as far as the eye can see just chunks of ice with the light gleaming off of them and it's it's almost like hypnotizing and mm. and it's it's very beautiful but it's you just do feel like you're 
uh, in a different world almost. But so it was my dad, the pilot and two other guys, they were flying, you know, two guys glass and they're looking and they're actually looking for bears out on the ice. And, um, normal morning, they'd been doing this for a couple of days and they're looking out over the horizon line. And if you've ever been that far North, it is as flat as a pancake. Like you're just 360 degrees. You're looking at your horizon line all the way around you. Mm. And they notice a couple of miles up ahead of them. They notice this big, dark mass. Um, and one of the guys points it out. So what is that? It's clearly something different than everything else they're looking at. So the pilot turns that way and they fly up there. And um, as they get up closer, they realize it's uh, it's got shape like an animal. So they're 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 going, OK, this is this isn't a trunk of ice. So they get all the way up there. They come down low. And to describe this properly, it was a dead whale Whoa. that had frozen solid and apparently two big chunks of ice had pinched it together like the pressure of the ice and it ended up standing this whale straight up in the air rigid like stiff (laughs) as a board um and and they said that it was sticking out of the ice like about 50 or 60 feet and so you just had this pillar so they're already you know they're already flying around it looking going that's insane i've never seen that before um so they fly a little lower and this just keeps getting crazier. So, you know, as my dad's describing it, he's saying, you know, we're looking at this thing and even the, um, the, uh, like fins and it's everything. It's just rigid, stiff. So they fly down to where they can actually get close enough to almost take a picture. And they're circling this whale, just buzzing around, just in awe of what they're seeing. And suddenly they look down and there's a polar bear standing on the ice right at the base of this whale where it's sticking out and he's beat red head to toe covered <laughs> from nose to feet beat <laughs> red and one of the guys says i'm i think that bear was up inside that whale and so they they lower a little bit more and they're able to see like a hole like a door-sized hole um that's in the side of this whale so they keep buzzing keep circling keep circling and over the next about three minutes, about 15 polar bears came out of the inside Whoa. of this whale. And they were all in a group, all beat red, all standing out on the ice outside of the whale. And it, you know, from what they described, they said they had to have been all up through this whale, all the way up to his head, like honeycomb style, <laughs> eating it from the inside. It's insane. So... so there's your first banger. That's that's, not yeah, that's even, a that's banger like, for that's sure. That's unbelievable. That is a banger for sure. <laughs> yeah, it is. Oh my goodness! <laughs> wow. You, think of th- think of the think of the mass inside of there. You know what I mean? Just like like uh, that thing could have easily just tipped over with that many bears in there. You know? Yeah, but that's like the good stuff there. That's what everything up there wants to eat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Man. all the fat. Yep. Oh yep, man, yeah, lover, man, and, and it's so hard for those things to to survive, you know. So when they come across something like that, like that's their, I mean, that could literally make the hardest part of the year for them doable. Oh, yeah. Especially, you know how how much time could they spend going back to that? You know, uh, I suppose that would have been 
that would have been before hibernation, right? When they found that. Yeah. Well, and you know, interesting polar bears, um, you know, I'm not a bear expert, but the, from what I understand, the male polar bear is the only bear in all of North America that doesn't actually hibernate. Oh, really? There's just not enough feed. They stay out and hunt all winter. The females okay. still mm-hmm. den up and have cubs, but, um, the, the males stay out. That's interesting. Yeah. So definitely makes you wonder if in that area, if they're, they had just a, you know, a really good solid population for a few years after all those bears found, found a lot of good food. There's an excellent, uh, I used to, when I used to be a science teacher and I used to show the scene, um, from planet earth with David Attenborough, where, uh, this bear was coming out of hibernation and it's so desperate, you know, it's like, it's at its weakest point and it tries to attack a walrus and, does not go well thing gets injured by the walrus and you just like it illustrated so perfectly just how hard it is for those those uh predators to stay alive you know that's like you know we're well we're all from the same you know era of growing up do you guys remember watching like animal planet when you're a kid and it's like you're almost trained to like just just root for the prey right oh get away get away (laughs) but yeah we should be much more sympathetic for the predator because it is so hard for them to, to get what they need to survive, you know, and, uh, they got to catch that animal and they got to make it happen. So a giant whale like that, man, that had to be just a, a huge gift for those things. And then for them to be able to see that, you know, and they probably yeah, never think- would have, you know, if they had just walked up to that thing, like let's say they had hiked across and came across something like that. I bet those bears wouldn't even come out. You know what I mean? It was the it was the agitation from the airplane circling it that made them that forced them right. out. You know, so what a what a crazy crazy that is a did banger. They, did they end up getting <laughs> any pictures or no? You know, so the he has like thirty thousand old photos and reels from all these things, and he says that there is um it's going to be, it's like one of my life missions to get through all of this stuff and find some of these cool, old, you know, there's so much. Um, it's it, recently that came up more because he sold a part of his collection to a gentleman out there in the Midwest of just whitetail stuff. And there was some famous whitetails in there and it's basically going to what's going to become like the North American whitetail, almost natural history, history museum. Oh, and cool. they, they wanted a lot of the provenance and the history on these deer, everything that he had. So kind of forced him to recently go through a lot of this. And it's now it's got all of us interested by what is, what else is in there? Yeah. 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 That's awesome. Yeah. That's, that's a, that's a crazy, crazy story. So we got a little idea on your background. You were, you were immersed in hunting growing up. Um, And you know, what's interesting. I wanted to hit on this too, when you were talking earlier, but I didn't want to, jump to the you know point too early sometimes i worry as a first gen hunter you know i'm so excited for it and i i love hunting and and you know it's my favorite thing to do i have three kids my son is six and so he's getting to that age where you know I well i bought a uh a buddy stand this off season because I'm going to take him into the tree stand with me. He's hunted up from the ground with me many times, but you know, it's time to like start ratcheting it up a little bit, you know? And 
the worry I think is that you're going to overdo it with your kids and they're not going to end up liking it. But that clearly didn't happen to you. Like what, what, well, here, let's get, if you don't mind, let's get a little personal here. Sure. If you have, do you have other siblings? Well, yeah, you mentioned you have a brother. Yep. Do your yep. other one brother, one brother. Okay. Does he like hunting as much as you do as much as your dad did? Or did that happen in your own family a little bit? You know, strangely, um, and there's more to this story down the road if, if, if you guys are interested, but my dad oh, yeah, definitely. became an, you know, he became an artist. Um, and you know, he's known more for his bronze sculptures, but he did the wolves that are in front of NC state football stadium there, that monument. And, wow. Um, he did the hogs that are in front of Arkansas's football stadium now. Oh, um, very cool. But long story short, he had an affinity for art and an affinity for the outdoors. And my brother went that way. And my brother is actually an extremely well-known Western oil painter out West. If you look him up, his name is Colt, Colt Idol. Okay. Um, and we have an art gallery in our hometown of Whitefish, Montana out there. That's called Dick Idol Signature Gallery. Oh, that's um, sweet. Yeah, very but, cool. And I went the other way. Um, now I sold art and, and all that, but yeah, it went to, it just split. But I loved it because I got to go to Africa and I, I didn't have a sibling I had to argue with who got to go on the <laughs> yeah. trips. You know? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I love it. So, so, so is your your brother, he doesn't do much hunting then anymore? Or? Um, he's always had still a fascination with the outdoors. He loves the outdoors. Um, but he actually, down on the King Ranch in December here, he shot his first, first whitetail. But wow nice buck down that's there. cool yeah. that's cool that yeah. he's kind of discovering it now that's really cool yeah so and, he likes it I, it may never turn that corner maybe it will i don't know um he's got a son i think it's actually to your point with your kids um his son uh i believe is about to turn six mm-hmm. and he's starting to think in terms of like man i really they've been taking him camping and um getting him out on the river and and they just the kids just love it so i think they're He's starting to feel that, like maybe he'd like to get into it even more, sure. So he could share that with his son. Sure. So what I mean, like from your opinion, then from seeing like that too, is it more of a nature versus nurture argument here? Like, yeah, some people are just born with, uh, like they're going to be a hunter. So some ways, you know, it might happen uh-huh. when they're fifty-five, or it might happen when they're five. They're going to end up being a hunter. Or do you think like? Yeah, I think maybe because dad did this with me or, or whatever, you know, or I saw this, whereas my brother saw this, like, what's your opinion on the matter? Yeah. I mean, I have, I have two really strong feelings there. Um, the first being that there is, some of it is going to be your sub nature as a person. Mm -hmm. Um, my brother and I both had stories when we were younger where, um, you know, I went on a pheasant hunt when I was really little and, one of the pheasants got popped and landed on its feet and I ended up catching it. I thought it was going to be my pet. And when I handed it really? to the guys there and he wrung its neck, um, I thought it was going to be the end of my hunting career. So, um, but you know, I was showing it to him. I was like, Hey, look how cool this thing is. And he's like, you know, yeah. it's dead. Bam. Um, <laughs> dinner. And, that yeah, reminds me of yeah. when I uh, picked some dandelions for my dad while he was mowing the lawn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, but then it's, it's like, but I went on, I went home. I was really upset about that. I I was real young. 
years mm. away from being old enough to hunt in Montana myself. So I was just on the trip with my dad. Um, but then years later, when my brother went on his first hunt with us, same kind of thing. Uh, we went on a hog hunt in South Carolina and he shot a pig and he just, it, it affected him and he just never came back to it. So mm. two experiences there. So that's as a, at a core level, I think I gravitated past it just because I had more of an affinity for it. Um, well, that's but, interesting. Then, but I do think that um, it's how you carry, like as a parent it is a big part of it. Like I idolized my dad, no pun intended, um, <laughs> but he was my hero. And yeah. so I grew up hearing all these stories and, and I grew up with a lot of people around saying, man, you don't know your dad used to do this and he's done so many cool things. So I aspired to that. So sure. I think I always kind of knew that I had that pull to, to be out there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, but not to, not necessarily either. Like when I was really little, I wanted to do everything that he did, but it, when you hear more about his story, um, he also was one of the like trailblazers and he came at a time when it was a group of people there like the Cabela brothers and Johnny Morris and a lot of those guys. And he was friends with a lot of those guys. Mm. Um, and, but they were like industry changers. So, you know, being in the time of this industry that I am, I'm not an industry changer. Uh, I just love to be out there and mm -hmm. it's, it's a much different game now than it used to be. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you're enjoying it in a different scope. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah that's cool. I love it. He yeah. enjoys the Great elk insight. hunting. That's what he enjoys. Absolutely. That's right. <laughs> that's right. No, I think, I think it's awesome to hear that perspective. You know, that's, I think that speaks to probably where a lot of folks are, you know, when they wrestle with these things. Um, Alex has uh, a couple of daughters and yeah, you've definitely taken them fishing, but you have, mm -hmm. have you really done any hunting with them yet? I took my oldest. So she's nine when she was five and a half. Uh, I took her out on a hunt with me, which really was basically, you know, we camped out and we did a little, bonfire and then we sat out in the morning and did some gobbling and heard some turkeys and mm -hmm. something like that you know so it's really just more of exposing her to it and then um yeah i do a lot of fishing and a lot of kayaking it's just basically like get them really comfortable with the outdoors yeah um they you know she's had no issues with uh you know a, a, a dead animal by any means like yeah. Like I've, like I remember, yeah. When Cody was talking about the pheasant, my dad did the same thing. I, I got ducks when I was young and, uh, you know, I thought they were pets cause they would follow me around. Like I was a little mama. And then one Saturday morning I have duck soup sitting on the, on the counter and I realized it's, it's, uh, you know, mama mallard. In there. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yep. So, yep. But I was like, all right, well, I mean, that's, that's just like the chicken in the coop, you know? So, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't really take it too aggressively, but sure. you know, with the kids kind of the same thing. So, um, and then this year, uh, Grace got her first youth license. So she's got, uh, she's got two Turkey tags, a deer tag and a fishing license. So that was wow, more of that's like, awesome. Yeah. In, in Michigan, it's, if you're under, uh, so if you're 10 and under, it's 11 bucks, I think, and they get all that. So it that's was just super awesome. exciting for her to get it, you know? Yeah, for so, sure. That's awesome. My daughter's yeah. name is Grace too. Oh, oh there we go. Very good. <laughs> oh, there we go. There's a, there's good a common name. thing. Wow. That's yeah. Awesome. So it's, it's neat just to see like how parents handle, handle it all. And, there isn't one right way, I don't think, to do it. But and it's also good to see that somebody could be around, like you said, like 
almost a, you know, your friends joked with you, man, you did it backwards. You did everything and now you're grown and it's kind of like, all right, now which one do I go back to? But, but uh, it's good to see you stuck with it. And I'm glad to hear that your brother's kind of getting back into it. And uh, I'm sure it makes your dad incredibly proud to see, see both of his uh, sons, uh, you know, carrying on the torch in their own way though. You know, Uh, I think sometimes, uh, you know, driven dads can expect their kid to be exactly like them, but I don't think we should expect that each person's their own person. They're going to bring their own, their own talents and their own, their own, uh, nuanced perspectives and everything else to the table. And I think that's, I think hunting a lot, there's so much variety within hunting that it allows for that full expression for each person. So I, I love that. That's great. Great to hear that. Well, yeah. And it, oh yeah, I was go, just going to say too, if, if if like the crazy thing too, like growing up in Montana, you could go hunt a whole season and not even see an animal, mm. um, which which isn't going to happen. There's so much variety of game out there mm-hmm. that you're going to see all kinds of great stuff. But um, you'll find yourself, and I think even kids can feel this. You know that you'll find yourself in settings where suddenly you're just like, look, look where I am. Look what I'm yeah. just, it's just, there's something special out there. Um, you know, we refer to it as the magic. There's just a feeling um, and it gets in them. And I, I think my, I mean, my daughter's only 16 months old, so I'm not, not oh, there awesome. yet. But what my plan, cause I've, you know, I thought about this on day one when we were still in the hospital um, yeah. <laughs> is it's, it's just exposure. It's really just exposing them yeah. to the, the life and what's out there. Um, you don't know your kid might like bird hunting. They might like fishing. Yep. They might just like tying flies. You don't know, yep. but, uh-huh. but you got to just share it with them and, and they'll find it. It'll, it'll take its, take its hold. It, it's hard yeah. not to. Yeah. yeah. I love that. That's, that's great perspective there for sure. Well, uh, the main topic we're hitting tonight, man, this is all, this has just been a great conversation. I'm glad we were able to connect Cody. This has been great. This <laughs> yeah, is a good episode. Uh, elk. I want to hunt elk. And, uh, you know, I was, I was thinking, uh, I get a lot of thinking time while I'm out working in the field, Alex. Um, uh, but I was thinking, <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking today, you know, it's like everything seemed so impossible when I was first getting into hunting. Uh, nine years ago, it, it just seemed like, oh, there's just so many things I gotta know. And, you know, slowly but surely, you, you know, I kind of figured a few species out that I can hunt here in Iowa. And I'm not saying like I'm an expert by any means, not at all, but like I've gotten to a point, point where I can have some expected su- success each season which is somewhere that if I really had to be honest with you, I wasn't sure I was ever going to, to reach that point being that once you start to like figure things out a little bit, you can build on that and you can tweak it and you can, you can, uh, you know, arrive at a point where you have a decent chance at, at having some success. And so I started thinking today, I was like, man, I wonder if that'll happen with elk. Will I, will I be able to, first of all, transfer over much of what I've learned about hunting everything else I've hunted, or will none of that transfer over? Um, will I be able to do it enough? 
like I did with these other species and kind of learn it through school of hard knocks and, and so forth, you know, or should I, you know, maybe approach it like a student and just do all the studying on it. And then when I show up, then it'll be like, Oh yeah, this is exactly like I studied, you know? So, so (laughs) right. (laughs) Right. The book says they're supposed to be right over there. Uh, I would not recommend that option. (laughs) I saw it on a magazine, Uh, but, but, um, I mean, it, it does feel pretty daunting, you know, now to be looking at that. And in many ways for my whole life, elk have felt totally out of reach and impossible. Um, so that's, you know, I don't, I don't expect you, Cody, to like make me feel totally, uh, you know, like, oh yeah, I'm ready to do this, you know, by the end of the, the podcast, that's not going to happen. But, but, uh, you know, just to kind of like get your perspective on it from a guy who's chased them around and grown up around them and mm-hmm. uh even does a lot of shed hunting which i love uh he's, he's you spend time with elk and i know that ev- here's how you know cody's a good person by the way when i asked him to do this he's like hey man i'm not an expert i'll tell you what i know but i'm i'm not an expert i <laughs> love talking to guys like that because first of all it means he's humble and uh, yep. second, second of all, he probably knows a lot more than he's letting on, because uh, that's how the, that's how those guys that's how those guys go, and they find something that works for them. You know what I mean? How much of hunting is just you find something, you figure something out that works for you, and you repeat it, you replicate it, and and of course you tweak it and stuff like that to try and you know tune it in better, but. But, uh, you know, I, I'm excited to hear your perspective on this. So let's just go ahead and, and, uh, kind of start out, you know, like going into the season scouting. I mean, for whitetails, you always say, you know, summer scouting is sure you can do it, but it is other than inventory, you know, it's not really telling you anything because they're going to hit that fall shift once they go hard horned and, Uh, they're going to be, they're going to be in a, you know, it's going to be, it could be a whole new, uh, uh, group of bucks that you have access to now, you know, as those bachelor groups break apart and so forth for elk, is there much, you know, is there much worth to summer scouting and like, what, what is the objective to that? Yeah. I mean, I would absolutely say yes. The, and, and a big reason again, this is going to range widely. I should say it's going to vary widely depending on the country that you're in, because like where I'm from up in the high timber country up there, there's, there's not a lot of vantage points. There's not, you're not looking for a thousand yards. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, But if you're on the other side of the Rocky mountains over near more like the Missouri river over there, uh, you might be looking at them from five miles away through a spotting scope. Mm. Um, so that that's part of it um and another is but i would say yes purely because elk tend to be in bigger groups and you know you're not gonna there's i mean i've seen thousand fifteen hundred two thousand head of elk um together out there in, in places and i know there's some some guys that have seen bigger groups than that um so if you find a place in the mountains that's just beat up like that there's it's undeniable that that many elk have been in there Sure. Um, so it, part of it is kind of, you, you got to know that they're at least in the the area. Um, uh-huh. cause there's some beautiful country up there. You can walk around all day, but yeah. there's nothing in there. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, that's kind of what I'm afraid of, you know. I And so I did my first western hunt last year with Alex. We did a, a spring bear hunt in northwest Montana, and um, I got that feeling like there's so much country here. If you went to the wrong spot, you know, you could be miles away from yep. from any opportunities. And so, so I guess you're looking for, you're trying to keep that, exact thing from happening when you're doing your scouting you're like okay where are these elk at i know if i go to this general area they shouldn't be too far so yeah and they tend to winter they they have a range they tend to go into the same range and you know the, the place that'll break your heart is when you're headed into state land you drive by a ranch that's got they're all wintering on out yeah. in the field there yeah. um but I guess another question I would have for you is for what you're looking at, are you, are you shooting to be in September in the rut when you do go hunt? Um, unfortunately, no, because, uh, that okay. is, that it just doesn't line up well for work for me, but uh, so I'm a farmer. So, you know, that's, that's a sure. harvest time and busy time, but, but I'm looking more for like a, a later season rifle time frame. So I was going to, I was going to break this down here in a minute. So you're, you're, uh, you're reading my mind here a little bit. <laughs> so we're, uh, well, let's get, let's hold on that for just a few minutes here. Cause I sure. want to come back to you on that and kind of delineate between archery season and rifle season, kind of what you're thinking and so forth. But mm-hmm. you're also a fitness guy. Um, what do you like? What if, if you had to limit somebody to three, uh, key workouts getting ready for elk season, what would those three, like maybe three muscle groups or three basic sure. exercises, what would you tell somebody to do? Well, first and foremost, if you've got access to some hills or some mountains, I'd fill up a pack with as much weight as you can bring yourself to do it and start going up <laughs> And hill. start doing that. Huh? Well said. Yeah. <laughs> well said. Because <laughs> um, elk shape, there's nothing like it, man. It's just the vertical change, the kind of country they live in when you're in that mountain country. It's it, it's just a different kind of shape, but of course, um, having your legs strong, um, there's, there's just nothing like feeling like you're on this stair climber, uh, hmm. off trail for 10 miles. <laughs> yeah. Um, the last elk that I did get, I think that weekend, my buddy and I, we were about six and a half miles from the truck and we had no, we were off, off trail. And, um, I think I lost about 15 pounds that weekend. Wow. Just um, and when we packed the elk out, <clears throat> big time grizzly country, we actually had a cow that he had shot a couple of days prior that a grizzly buried. Um, and oh, we didn't, we, he had left his gloves over there at that carcass. So we went back to go get them and didn't realize until we were on top of it that that one had been buried right there. So um, pretty, pretty eerie. We missed it. It's got to be sketchy. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, so that was yeah. in Montana, I'm guessing, right? If it's a grizzly yep. country like that. Yeah. Northwest Montana up actually in between Glacier Park and the Bob Marshall up there. Um, mm. Actually, this section too is where they release a lot of the problem grizzlies that they want them to either <laughs> push off into the Bob. So it's especially uh, populated with grizzlies. And, um, and then lo and behold, we go down there and find this one buried. I've got one down up on the ridge above us that we were headed to. So of course, we make the first trip out of there, the six and a half miles back, but we got to come back for one more round. And we yeah. came in on the, the mountain above when we came in and watched what was left um, 
of the meat for about a half an hour before we went down there and picked up the rest of the stuff. But um, it was, it, whew, it was, yeah, it, it'll get your attention. And we oh, never man, done yeah. six miles with an elk quarter so fast because we we knew he was there and the tracks were Massive. huge. Yeah, we had about an inch and a half of fresh snow so we could see his tracks, all blood and mud, just probably about a seven inch diameter track. And, oh, man. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, we got out of there without incident, but <laughs> that's good, man. Oh, that is, that is the stuff of nightmares there, but also <laughs> exciting. You know, that's like, that's when you feel alive there is when you're, uh, when you're doing mm-hmm. all that. So that's good yeah, to I know. I had a buddy that actually killed a grizzly up there. Um, a couple of years prior in the same area, I shot a charging bear when he was on an elk hunt. He had no choice and, and he went through the proper routes when he was, he, the fishing game came up there. They investigated it. They, decided that it was self-defense and um then they they all packed the bear out of the the back country but i saw pictures of it and it was you know point blank range oh. yeah it happens yeah. it's sketchy though man yeah well ken i'll tell you he had a he had a few that uh you know on our bear hunt you'd go on some some of those logging roads and you just feel like yeah. Yeah. This is eerie. You know, like something could hop out at any point in time. Cause it's so thick, you know, yep. we were up in the same, same kind of area, you know, we were, we were, um, kind of West of that whitefish area, you know? So, you know, a lot of that area is grizzly country. So even, even sleeping at night, you know, we had, we had fences and stuff. Just to, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, and it was, and it ended up there ended up being more grizzlies in the area than we realized, you know, because people kind of kind of thought that after where we were, there weren't that many. And then Rasty and I tried to go get a predator call, and the guys at the (laughs) the local uh, uh, hunting store were like, "Uh, "What if it's not a black bear that comes into your call?" And it's probably not going to (laughs) be. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and so. so uh, anyways so, that was that was a uh that was a uh pretty alarming thing at times for sure you know alex i don't where'd think you guys I, go uh we we uh went we'll, we'll tell you the exact spot uh after uh we get off the air here so we sure. don't uh we don't spot burn <laughs> anything but but um uh it was uh yeah we'll, we'll just tell you off the air we'll, we'll tell you i don't want to i don't want to give away too bad but no, uh no, you just piqued my interest whitefish because that's my hometown so Yep, yeah, yeah, that's always a good staple to just say because everybody knows that, but nobody knows anything else. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, right. <laughs> but uh, no, it was it was beautiful country. There were a lot of a lot of bears in in the area, and uh, it was a tough week of hunting though for sure. Um, but we did we did come home with a bear, which was awesome. And a lot of that again, going back to Alex, because Alex's hunt plan was so good for us that that it put us in the right right position but, but no alex i never told you uh the last night that rasty and i were hunting you know we're kind of doing our hail mary trying to fill our second tag and um uh we drove way up this one mountain that we kind of went like maybe halfway up our uh first day and uh you know at that point we're just road hunting because it's the the last few hours that we have before we got to head back east and um we went up to this spot and like you said, Alex, it was this like old, it was still open, but it was an old logging road. And it was just like that kind of getting dark time of night. And it was 
so thick. And there were these claw marks just way up this tree. And uh, I had to hop out and, like, help Rasty back up, like, guide him. And I just felt, like, so uneasy. That was really the <laughs> only – I think the uh, – there may have been one or two other times, but that was definitely the most uneasy I felt just, like – yeah, this is a spot where absolutely a grizzly would want to be hanging out, and <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's it it makes your it makes the hair stand up on your neck a little bit when you it when does. you feel that. But okay, so so scouting's worth it. Find those elk, stay in there, get into their general area. Now let's let's go ahead and let's get like a little, uh, you know. I'm going to have you put your uh, elk biologist cap on here for a second, Cody. Let's just focus on the, the, the elk season, which does elk season end in November in most states? That's a good Alex question there or Cody. I mean, I can only speak for Montana, uh, but yeah, I mean, the, the archery season starts there in September. Um, rifle, general rifle typically starts like third week, the, somewhere between like the 22nd and 25th of October and okay. usually runs all the way through that Sunday after Thanksgiving. So okay. um, that's your last day. I, I can't speak to the other states. I haven't actually hunted in Idaho or Wyoming, but. Sure. They're, they're most around that same ballpark, you know, give or take. Montana's actually got a pretty liberal time period on there, especially with their general. Hmm. So. So then let, let, let's focus on that then September through November. Uh, what's, can you just give us an idea of what elk are doing starting in September and then transition through, uh, November? Yeah. So in, in, in September, you're starting to play the game of when's it going to get cold? Mm. Um, that, that really affects when they start moving. But the biggest difference obviously between September and out in November is they're not typically rutting in November. And mm -hmm. so your, your, your tactic is two completely different things. In mm -hmm. September, you want to be calling, bugling, getting them in. Um, and that's the, that's the fun stuff where you get a bull screaming at you. And, you know, every time they're screaming, you're closing the gap and, and then you're, you're talking to them, getting them in. But you get to see all that activity and there's, there's nothing quite like having screaming bulls around you. Um, if you get, you know, and, and how the rut, how long it runs, it, it somewhat depends on the area, how many elk are in there. Um, and again, if it's, you know, when we have years that are unusually warm, um, cause usually in September, you, you want to start getting to where at night, sometimes it's getting down to freezing. Um, and a lot of times you'll get snow in the high country, maybe not down in the, in the valley floors yet out there, but, uh, moving on into October, the more snow you have, it just even makes, even though the rut might be over, it makes tracking easier. And mm -hmm. if you, if you, um, you know, if you get a shot at one, you, you could follow a blood trail, but, uh, you know, the, it's interesting because I'm actually not. I'm not a big bow hunter. I've got friends that they, if they listen to this, they're going to be laughing because they've been giving me a hard time forever. <laughs> um, actually, my, my good buddy, Bryce, um, who, who is a big bow hunter, who's been giving me a hard time for years because I just won't quite pick up the bow the way he wants. I told him I was going to do this with you guys. And he said, well, why'd they call you on? I said, well, you know, right. It's, they want my bow hunting expertise. <laughs> and he just said, I hate you. Um, but 
you know, so I spent more time like that time of the year for me has typically been I'm glassing, I'm scouting. Um, uh, I've kind of, at least amongst my group, like I've got the reputation for having the eyes to spot game. And mm-hmm. um, it's, it's something I've always been just, it's been a thing that I usually see them. It's a good skill to have. That's a good skill to have. Um, so yeah. And, and, uh, but if you're hunting in September, you're watching the rut activity, you're wanting to hear them, you know, bugling more and more. Um, if you, if you know some elk are in an area and you can get on some cows, um, if you know where they're staying, um, you can get on the cows and, and bulls are coming. Um, but the, like I said, the rut really depends on the, the duration depends on weather and number of elk. And honestly, up there in the whitefish area, in that high country, it depends on wolves and stuff too, because mm. if their wolves are really prevalent, the, the elk don't talk as much. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're in there, but they don't want to be ringing the dinner bell. So they're, they've been pushed around enough and they go quiet. So that that's kind of part of the balance you face. Um, now you get on past September and you get on into October when the rut fades out, the game is completely different. You get into rifle season, obviously you're not bow hunting anymore. You can, people are hunting out at three, four, five, six hundred, eight hundred yards, depending on where you're comfortable. But also the game just changes because you're doing more of a, you're wanting to get vantage points. If you, if you don't already have some located and you're wanting to watch the most promising areas you can from from your vantage point and um if you can spot one from a long ways away you can put a stock on them but Mm. it's you're done with the rut so there's no calling there's no bugling you're just you're more if you're going into the wilderness and you don't already know where some elk are let's just say you're going in like hey come on we're going out we're looking for elk today um kind of your tactic at that point like i said you can either ride a lot of country like you were talking about Mm-hmm. Montana's got a million miles of those mountain dirt roads yep. that mm-hmm. just just have numbers. They don't have names, you know. Yeah. Um, but if you can get in the high country and get some vantage points, and uh, that, that's kind of the best way to start to look for them and to get on them. Um, but it's when you're in the high timber country, the rifle seasons. There's a lot of luck involved too to get on them because um, you don't have. Uh, 600 yard shooting windows up mm. there you got you guys saw it it's block timber yep um, yeah oh yeah you get a split second to make a decision when you spook one at 40 yards in the timber yeah yep <laughs> so yep. Well, that's, but to, that's... to encourage you about five to six years ago a guy went out there and killed the new world record on public land there um like a 430 the previous world record was like 413 and he came wow. fourth right at 430. Wow. That's insane. That yeah. is. On opening day. It's a wild bull. Yeah, yeah. for sure. <laughs> yeah. So, so, uh, definitely, uh, you know, kind of similar to whitetails in a way where you got like that, that key time frame, but after that it's, it's, uh, more just, I, I guess I would say finding the sign, right. And, uh, you know, getting to where, where are the elk now, you know, instead of seeing them mm-hmm. squirting out everywhere, calling and, and everything else. But, um, <clears throat> Alex, I remember you sent me some video. I might, I might, uh, I might, uh, bum some of that video off you and, and make an Instagram post with it. Uh, oh, but, right. uh, but, uh, 
No, he <laughs> sent me some incredible footage when he was down in Arizona uh, during uh, September hunting elk uh, a few years ago. What was that, 2021? And uh, just like that. the screaming and chaos going around with those giant bulls down there just – I got. I was so excited. I was sicker than a dog with COVID, and but I was so excited when I was keeping your hopes up. That, that's right when you <laughs> sent me that video. But um, no, that that uh, it, it gets me so excited. But then you know, too, I like, uh, you know, what, what's interesting. I and I thought of this one other time in our conversation, and it, I, your name's Cody too. Uh, the DeQuistos. Um, uh, Cody DeQuisto, I heard in an interview once where he talked about how, you know, it's almost like, I don't want to put words in his mouth. Um, in fact, I'd, I'd like to have Cody on the podcast sometime. Maybe I should reach out to him, but I think he's a really, really good hunter. I don't think he gets enough credit for that. Um, but, but anyways, <clears throat> I heard him in an inter- interview once and he talked about how you know like living in his dad's shadow a little bit you know his dad's you know this incredible andre DeQuisto, the incredible you know like state state record holder you know in wisconsin and, and wherever else and i'm sure he's been featured in north american whitetail a, a million times <laughs> you know and just he's a legend you know but uh he he um you know kind of made it his own way and just seeing how consistently those guys have been able to to do it but so i bring up cody because i thought of him earlier in the conversation when you were talking about your story a little bit but then also um i remember hearing another interview with andre um both the guys were actually on uh, wired to hunt so let's give wired to hunt a little shout we had mark back on here for our episode 100 and um just a uh, uh, fantastic time Alex and I had talking with him but um when he interviewed Andre I remember Andre talking about the rut in like the whitetail rut in like almost a derogatory way he's like he's like yeah well I didn't get the buck that I wanted in October so I'm going to wait for a present to be delivered to me during uh no the rut in November and that's mm-hmm. that always stuck with me at first you know I was a new enough hunter's like what do you mean you know don't knock the rut man the rut is an, is <laughs> is awesome but like I started to really think about what he was saying and and what he was saying was I like the challenge of of figuring whitetails out when they're more like their normal selves you know what i mean mm-hmm. and i think that's what outside of the rut for elk even though i've never hunted them i gotta think that that brings a lot of that satisfaction you know like you talked about how you don't do much of the archery and then you come in later in the year you use archery time for more scouting intel and <clears throat> you you know when you got to figure it out that time of year you're figuring out elk more as what elk are normally doing would you agree that 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 side of it is just kind of more thrilling yeah i think it is i think it has its own it's almost like its own art form mm-hmm. compared to hunting the rut it's rut's more action-packed but um there's also this element of you're really on their their turf and mm-hmm. you guys have both seen that country there uh it's not for the faint of heart no, yeah, oh yeah. no, not at all. Yeah, I. What one of the things that was probably the most amazing thing I saw while we were out there hunting 
was a black bear go running down one of those uh, drainages with deadfall everywhere. And that thing went hundreds of yards in less than four seconds. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I'm like, I, you know, and when I walked down that thing, take you an hour to do that. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. And I'd fall like three times, you know, and that thing's on a full dead sprint over all that deadfall and everything else. It's just insane. But yeah. And, and, I'm sure elk are the same way, you know, those giant long legs, those things just move. Dude, they're up a mountain like that. I mean, it's wild. Yeah. So that's, we, we need to talk about that side of it too here. Um, so I I gotta go, I gotta push for Cody, if you don't mind. Yeah, go for it. As you're you're, you're talking about it. So if you were to have preference, right, you had uh, September, October, November, what would be your like go-to month? If you just, you could always pick that month to hunt. Well, I've got to jump out and say September. Okay. Uh, that, I mean, the, the rut is just, it's just something else. There's, it's yeah. nothing, the action and, and it's like, but I will say this, admittedly, I haven't had great non-rut areas. Um, again, the, the district where I'm from is kind of widely known in the general rifle is one of the most difficult ones to get on good bulls because the country is mm-hmm. so tough it's so steep and thick and mm-hmm. i mean you you this is one of those ones you take off walking and you're like i feel like i've been hiking for hours and you look back and you can still see the truck you know yep. <laughs> I, it's just challenging um and then again depending on how good a shape you get yourself into elk, elk are definitely worth being in the best mountain shape that you can be in but um I'd have to, if I knew an area and I've got some friends out on the East side that actually, you know, have more of the big ranch country where, um, if you go ride for a day or go hike for a day, you're going to see elk every day. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas in that district up there, you might hike for a week and you're like, I one day, much. yeah, they're there, yep. but it's hard to be quiet. It's hard to get, you know, a vantage point on them. So out in that district up there, Northwest Montana, I'd say the rut for sure. Um, and those big bulls with all that thick stuff, they come crashing down through all that thick, nasty stuff. And mm-hmm. sounds like a herd of elephants coming through. Hmm. Yep. But that, that I'd have to go rut, but gosh, I like elk hunting from start to finish. So well, that, yeah. it's, it's a hard choice. Yeah. <laughs> totally. My, my, my other question to you is, as we're talking to progression and this is, I'm asking this for, for Ken, Dan, the, obviously the, uh, the listeners, right. If you, if you haven't hunted elk, but what's your strategy difference, obviously you're calling in September, what's your strategy aside for glassing, which I, I highly agree with, but, um, you know, what other changeovers are you looking for in, in either environment, weather, uh, food, water, you know, what's, what's that change for you come October, come November? Yeah. Um, I mean, again, this goes to, it, it starts with weather. Um, you know, uh, it, when you have a ton of snow in the high country, it'll push them down. So you can kind of go off of elevation a little bit. And then again, I mean, I went over near Dillon, Montana, a handful of years ago and, you know, at noon it was 35 below. Hmm. Um, and they just, they move a ton when it's that cold because they have to. And so, gosh, I, I hope this isn't 
too vague of an answer, but it really depends on the country because if you divide Montana down the Rocky Mountain front, you've got like the Great Plains on one side and you've got, yep. you know, British Columbia basically on the other side. Yeah. And yeah. It, it's the temperate I've rainforest. Mu- <laughs> yeah. And I've had much more time <laughs> exactly. in, that, in that country. Um, yeah. But if it's rifle season, I'm on the east side over more in the plains. Um, it really is, you know, getting out and seeing as much country as you can to just up your chances. If you don't already have a group that you know about, um, if you don't have any elk picked out and you're just going out blind, you know, covering as much country as possible and getting a glass on as much territory, it's really it's got to be your best bet to at least get one located. Now, mm. getting up to them and putting a stock on them and all that stuff is a completely different story, but because mm-hmm. they're so smart and they see everything and they hear everything, but um, it's amazing how graceful those giant animals are. Yeah, um, totally. Like you said, they they don't just run up a mountain when you spook them. You watch them disappear over the mountaintop like in complete silence. Like they're not, they're so smooth and that's know, fascinating. Gonna, yeah, that is crazy. Yeah, so, so I'm I, what I'm gathering here is, you know, the glass. It's it's the glassing game is just so important. But um, if you were in more open country, like the eastern side of the Rockies. Would I imagine reading sign is almost futile because if you're close enough to find their sign, they're close enough to have already smelled you, seen you, heard you, whatever, out of there. Whereas in the western side of the Rockies, it's tight quarters. Like it's a big, vast area, but it's, you know, because of the trees, it feels like tight quarters. Are you hunting sign? more on that side of the Rockies in that habitat? Like, are you looking for wallows? Are you looking for rubs? Are you looking for, for that kind of thing or, um, and, or scat even and choosing to hunt based off of that more so on that side? Yeah. Well, I'm actually, I'm glad you asked that because that is a, that's a very important point. Um, obviously where elk you're starting in the rut and then you're fading into, the later season, just general rifle, whereas whitetail, you start in, at least in Montana, in October, you start in general and they're not, they're not rutting yet. And then you get into like November and they are, so you're working towards the rut instead of away from it. So for elk, <clears throat> obviously by October, if you're in general rifle, the rubs don't mean anything. They, that those mm. rubs are old and wallows are probably frozen <laughs> by mm. then. Yeah. Um, however, to your to your question there though um one of the best ways to get on one if you don't already have some located is to cut a fresh track like first thing in the morning especially okay. if you've got some fresh snow um that a lot of guys do that um when they're hey we're gonna go hit this high country we know they're elk in the area we don't have any located let's get up there at first light and try to cut a track um that's a great way to get on one and an interesting way with elk that you can distinguish between a bull and a cow is, you know, a a bull, you know, the, the droppings and the urine are going to be in different places. Mm -hmm. Whereas like with the, with a cow, it's going to be right on top of each other. So, um, because I mean, everybody's spent six hours following a cow. Um, 
hoping that it was a bull um, yeah. at some point. But um, yeah, cutting a fresh track would be a great sign. Um, gosh, snow versus no snow is a big one out there. Okay. Um, you know, we've had those late Octobers, or early Novembers with no snow. All the actually all the way through Thanksgiving, some years with no snow. Gosh, you're really up against it to go go out and find a bull. But then again, if you're in country, you know they're at least in there. There's always a chance. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot a lot of luck involved at that point. Yeah, sure. So so that then makes me uh, think of this too. How key is elevation? So, like, to put it, my question in context here, when we did our spring bear hunt, I realized elevation was everything. Alex taught me that. And uh, we could, uh, my hunting partner, Rasty, and I, we saw that from, like, looking at scat, too. Like, you'd see, like, you know, obviously down in the lowest areas, that's where the deer are. Then you get up, uh, you know, a couple thousand feet. Now you're starting to see moose scat everywhere you go up higher now you're starting to see lion and bear and elk is is that is that like um the same deal with with elk like do you have a specific elevation you're keying in on because for us we ended up doing that with with black bears and it and i think correct me if i'm wrong here alex we've kind of like determined at least for that point in the season right around 4,000 feet was kind of the magic cutoff, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and if you went much, you went up to 5,000 feet, that was almost too high. And so we Mm -hmm. we stayed right around that, that 4,000, you know, within that thousand feet. And sure enough, that's where we saw bears and we saw most, you know, almost all the sign at that out or that elevation. Is it that way with elk too, Cody? Before I say it all, I got to give you my our, our favorite uh, tourist question out there in Montana is what elevation does a deer become? Um, <laughs> Wait, you cut out there just for the key part oh, of your joke year. there. You, you oh, cut, it's you, so good. You, so, <laughs> so say your joke again. You cut out just at the perfect time. I think I know what you oh. said, but <laughs> oh no, the common question is at what elevation does a deer become an elk? Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> That's hilarious. That's so good. That's so <laughs> yeah. good. But oh. no, in all in all honesty, I I wish I had a better answer than this. But if you look at true elk biology, they by definition are a plains game animal. Mm, yep. That's but true. they're so they're so diverse that they they can live in all the different elevations and we've seen them all the way up at the top. We've seen them down in the valley floors. Um you're right. You get up above five, 6,000 feet and the environment out there becomes a lot more harsh. Feed becomes less. Um, gosh, but it really also depends on predators. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they, they'll, if the elk have to push down into the flats because there's a lot of wolf pressure and they don't get as much pressure, even though they're closer to people, um, they'll do it. And, um, <clears throat> but yeah, I mean, I don't know whether it's elevation or it's the remoteness of the country. Okay. That that's a question that I really don't know the true answer to. I think it's a little bit of both, but um, the high country is just, it's more private, more quiet, and they can, 
big bulls can grow old and die without any yeah. pressure, hunting pressure in some of those places. So, um, but we've seen, you know, three sixties walking across on the highway down outside of town too. <laughs> so, yeah. um, so, so what I'm, what, what I'm gathering is, and it makes sense because a black bear, yes, they can be prey to other big black bears or, you know, a, a grizzly, but they really don't have that prey mindset, whereas elk do. And so they're going to mm-hmm. be responding to where they sense that danger is is lessened, and that's where they're going to migrate to. Um, yeah. So so elevation, not really something that – I mean, I, and I suppose, like, let's say, you know, this is where we joked at the beginning where it's like, maybe I should just read all the books on elk hunting and then I'll, you know, <laughs> go right out there and – have four days to kill because I fill my tag so quickly. But uh, we all know that in reality, that's funny because when you have boots on the ground, you're like, whoa, this is way different than what I read about, what I mm-hmm. what I envisioned in my head. And, yeah. and so maybe you end up finding out, yeah, there is a trend in this local area that all the elk, we've only seen elk in between this elevation and this elevation. But other than that, sounds like not really a thing to prioritize. Yeah. And they're much, they're much harder to pattern than whitetails, you know, mm. the white, you know, outside of the rut, you know, a lot of those whitetails will walk the same trail every yep. day, a lot of days at the same exact time. Yeah. And they're whole know, bodies. Stop. Exactly. Elk, they're, they're a little bit more sporadic, but another thing is you push them once and they'll move to another, they're gone. They're gone. Mm. Um, and even the way they spook a whitetail, you ever jump a whitetail in the timber pretty usually they're going to get up and run and they're, but they're going to stop somewhere and yep. turn back and look elk. Don't ever look back again. They, <laughs> they get up and go. I think the one I spooked last season is still running right now. <laughs> it's crazy. But yeah, that's good. That's, that's good insight. I, I think that also has to do with food. You know, when you're looking at it, like elks, elks food is, you know, they're, they're feeding on different things than a deer does. So to them, they can go over a ridge and get into another ridge or drainage, and they have they can eat right. over there too. Where like deer will tend to stay more towards their food source. Yeah. So I think that has to do a lot with like they just don't care. They're like, yeah, peace out. I'm going out somewhere else because I yeah. I know I got food in the other other four miles down here. You <laughs> <Yeah>. know, <Right. laughs> so that is interesting though because yeah, I've, I've talked about that a lot, especially with the mule deer. A lot of times they end up cutting and doing a full circle and crossing right back over to where you were, <laughs> and uh, yep. you know. And they always stop and look back. So you're like, yeah, spook them and just wait in the crosshairs. So you're probably going <laughs> to drop them. Yeah. 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 So. 1st hunters want to run, like, have the tendency to want to take off running after them when they run. Yeah. You know, you're never going to catch them. <laughs> hold tight and try to get a good shot, get a good rest. And, you know, if you're going to get a window, that you got to take advantage of it. But everybody's tendency is to freak out right when they get up and go, but it, yeah. So I, I got to think that <laughs> that playing the wind is, is critically important there. Just like with whitetails, you don't want to, when you're walking into an area, you want to make sure you have that wind advantage so that you aren't, aren't doing exactly that. So yeah, that's, yeah. that's, uh, that's great information there. I'm going to ask you one last tip here. I know it's getting kind of late, especially for you guys out there on the Eastern, uh, Eastern time, <laughs> but, um, uh, when nothing else is working, 
what do you do? Like what's your, what's your go-to move when everything is just like, man, this normally works, but it's not working this time. Mm. What do you do? Spill a bag of corn. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Honestly, uh, Co- Cody does not <laughs> illegally bait. <laughs> no. And there's not even any legal baiting in Montana. There's no, you can't do it. Um, No, honestly, for me, uh, it it sounds pretty simple, but if I've hit an area hard enough and it's just not happening, especially if we're getting later in the season, Mm -hmm. um, I have just pulled up the stakes and gone to a completely new area. Not something that I've never been into before, but somewhere maybe that I'd seen some other, other game and, um, <clears throat> now if it was rut, I'm, I'm saying, what would I do? I would start calling, you know, hike to the next Ridge, start calling again, try to get one talking. And I don't care if I'm pushing stuff out a little bit. Hmm. Um, because if, if it's like a pulling out all the bag of tricks, you know, try to right. get one talking. Um, <clears throat> another thing that, you know, I've done in the past with, with a good friend of mine is like, do a push. Hey, we've been in here all day. Um, I'm going to go up to the top of the ridge, you go to the bottom and I'm going to do a push through here and see if we can't, you know, push something down that, cause they're smart too. They'll hold in that thick stuff. Um, if you don't push them, you could be all around them and they, they might sit tight. Mm-hmm. So, um, but so either doing a push or just relocating and giving it another shot. Um, I wish there was a cooler answer for L, no, but it's, man, it's, that's a, that's a good answer. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the kind of thing we're looking for. You know, that's, that's something people can put to work right away. So yeah, good, good, good insight there. All right. We promised them one more banger. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. Another banger. Well, you guys will appreciate this one because um, this was right up somewhere in that country where you went bear hunting. Um, Okay. But uh, just to give you a little pre-info because it, it just makes the story a little sweeter. Um, I was actually in our art gallery up in, up in Whitefish there. And we had this common thing because of who my dad is that folks would come in and ask questions and ask if, uh, occasionally ask if we could give hunting tips or if we would take them hunting. And it was an obvious general thing that we say, look, we're not guides. Um, I can't provide that service. Um, and then it was known that if I ever did say yes, that, you know, nobody can yeah. give me anything or pay me anything. I can just, but I could take someone hunting out of the, you know, out of the goodness of my heart. Yeah. So this, this guy comes in, <clears throat> I won't say his name just because he was a public figure, but he was an old Arkansas Senator. And at the time he was uh, about in his mid eighties and he okay. said, Hey, I'm visiting here. I've just bought the, the non-resident big game package for deer and elk. And I really want to go hunt some elk. And I'm wondering if you could show me around. I said, I just felt for, he was a really nice guy. And look, okay, here's the deal. He told me he had his truck out there. I said, meet me here in the morning. I'm going to take you up to this really crazy high country area where I know there's some elk. I'm not promising anything. Don't give me anything. Don't pay anything. But, you know, if you want to bring lunch, let's call it a, call it a day. We'll go. Yeah. So he meets me the next morning at 5 a.m. And we take off. This is about maybe 40 miles north of whitefish first light we're going up this this road and the last detail you need to know is that i had passed on like three bears uh prior to this 
in the area that I was hunting before because I didn't want to push the other game out of there. I didn't want to shoot in there. And I told myself, I'm like, if I see a bear anywhere else, like, I'm not going to be picky. I want to fill that tag. Mm-hmm. So we get on this dirt road, and this particular mountain road goes vertical real quick. Like, you're climbing within a few minutes after you leave the highway. And it's probably been light about 10 minutes. And I'm driving, and he's in the passenger seat. I'm drinking my coffee. And we get about 10 minutes up. It's just past legal shooting light. And this big black bear goes running across the road. And both of us, oh, look, bear. Yeah. And I, without saying anything, kind of slow to a slow crawl in the truck and then pull over and stop. And he said, well, you know, he's this old Southern guy. Well, what are you doing? And I said, I'm, I'm like putting on my orange while I'm talking to him. I said, I'm going to go fill my bear tag real quick. I'm still going to take you elk hunting, but it's like last two days of the season. I'm, I'm going to at least go make a pass. I don't know if I'll catch up to this bear yeah. or not. So that's the preset of the story, just to give you a feel for what we're at. And it's like right when you get off the road, I grab my gun, my tag, my knife, and got, that's it. And yeah. I take off, and it's vertical right from there. I mean, we're going straight up. And um, I climb about maybe 600 yards up this ridge, and he stays down in the truck. He, he's not in any condition to climb in the mountain, you know. So um, I don't have any snow, so I can't. I can't track him, but so I'm just, I'm going straight up, just kind of guessing where I thought he might've run. And I get up to this big bench on the mountain, just Mm -hmm. this beautiful flat cottonwood meadow that just goes flat. That's awesome. And, and right when I get up off the vertical stuff and into the meadow, he's standing right there in the middle. And, and I raise and as I raise, he takes off running. So I drop and I like scoot forward to the next tree and he he runs about 10 more yards and stands up on his hind legs and turns around like fully stretched out to look at me. So I turn to take a shot again. And right when I do, he drops and runs one more time. And I just say, I'm going to stay put. He's going to, he's going to stand up again. I believed he would. And so he runs about 15 more yards and does just that. He turns around, stands up on his hind legs and I put it center chest, boom, pull the trigger and he drops and runs like nothing happened. Oh. So, so I'm sitting there thinking, like I had, I mean, this was like 80 yards and I had him yeah. perfect. I had a dead rest. I mean, I knew I made a good shot. So, but I waited for about maybe 10 minutes and I, I take a slow walk up to the spot where I shot. Big, big pool of blood. And I'm like, where's this bear? You know, and they're tough as nails. They don't die easy, and they, they uh-huh. you know, they run. They've died in the top of pine trees, and mm. I mean, they, they're so. Anyway, I start. I get a little blood leaving that blood blood pile, and just at the back of this meadow, it turns into this big nasty rock slide. Um, so it goes. You know, you got vertical the meadow, and then it goes vertical again, oh. and that rock slide goes up to a cliff face, like a six hundred foot cliff face. And I look up there and that bear is laying right at the base of that cliff on top oh. of the rock slide. And he, and so, but he's down. And I, so normally, and I know you guys know this, but you normally don't ever approach a down predator from downhill. Um, because if they get up and run, they're going to run downhill. Okay. But in this yep. case, I didn't have a choice. I got a cliff behind him. I've got the rock slide. So I get out on this rock slide and I'm making my way up there. And 
these these boulders in the rock slide are each one's like the size of a car so i'm not having a very easy time getting yeah. up there. i'm having to like jump from rock to rock and figure out oh. how and i'm doing that and so i work my way up there and i get gosh probably 30 yards from him and he's got his back facing downhill and i get about 30 yards from him and i hear this big raspy breath from him and i'm like oh he's still alive so i raised up I put it center mass, like right between his shoulder blades from, from the downhill side, pulled the trigger. And when I shot, I heard it thunk him. But when it hit him, that bear stood up on his hind legs and did the like boxer. Like I just got my bell rung and I'm walking yeah. around. <laughs> and when he dropped back to all four, he dropped into a full run coming down the rock slide right at me. <laughs> and so... And to this day, I don't think that he was charging me. I think he was trying to go past me. Yeah. But why he had to come right through me, I don't know. Um, I had a lot of space around me, but I'm standing on this big rock that I can't back up now because risk of falling. Mm-hmm. So um, I raise for the third time. Now he's coming right down. At this point, he's probably 15 yards. And I raised. And when I raised up, all I could see was black in the scope. And I just pulled the trigger again. And I heard it. It was like this all happened in slow motion, but I heard it, you know, it went through his shoulder. We figured out later and I heard it take a piece off of a rock and like ricochet behind Mm. him. And then, so I bolted my fourth and final round. And as I picked up, he ran right through me, like chest to chest of me. Oh my goodness. And I raised. That's a wild, wild story. And I touched Whoa. off that fourth round. I shot him in the chest, point blank, barrel to barrel to fur, right as he hit me. And I shot him one more time. The muzzle flash was between us. He knocked oh. my hat off. My gun flew off. I fell on my back, dropped my gun, and he rolled over the top of me. And actually, that rock I was on, there was about an eight-foot drop behind me. And he oh, rolled man. off the backside. And he died right below me there on the you know, and I had nothing left because I was shooting a four round mag, my little Remington 270, like little featherweight. <laughs> and I pick up my rifle, it's all scratched up. And I just, out of pure reaction, I raised up and I'm aiming at him again, out of breath. Um, and like not really gathering everything that had happened. But just to kind of make it short and sweet here at the end, what makes this all so funny is I forgot about the Arkansas Senator sitting down on the truck down there. Yeah. And I knew I didn't have any help. So when the kind of the dust settled here, I knew he couldn't get up there. So I tried to get this bear up on my back. I figured I'd leave my stuff. I tagged him, took a few pictures and um, I tried to get him up on my shoulders. I just couldn't get him by myself. So I did gut him in the field left. They didn't skin him or anything, but I got enough weight off him like that to at least get him up on my shoulders. So Mr. Arkansas senators down there in the truck. He knows that I left. <clears throat> and then he hears, boom. And then, you know, maybe 15 minutes later, he hears, boom, boom, boom. Yeah. And, and then about an hour later, I come walking out of the timber with this bear on my shoulder. <laughs> That's awesome. And I got blood all over my neck and my head. I got it dripping down my arms. <clears throat> and I kind of look like, Tristan from Legends of the Fall, almost, you know. <laughs> but I kind of put my tough face back on, and I I got the bear in the truck, hiked down, um, 
to a creek below, like took my stuff off, rinsed all the blood off. And I came back and got back in the truck with, with the Senator. And I was like, all right, <clears throat> let's go get you an elk. And just like, started going again. And he, he, like, he's sitting over there in the, in the passenger seat, like staring at me. Like, I'm, who did I sign up to go hunting with? You know? Yeah. But that's an awesome that's story, awesome. man. That's a, that's oh, a story that's awesome. of a lifetime. Man. Oh yeah. You're that, is, again. that is such a great one. That's another banger. He, Cody yeah. does not. He does not uh, uh, t- tell no lies there with his stories being good ones. That was that was awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for for joining us tonight, Cody. This is actually going to be the first episode. We may have a pick and bones that comes out before this one on uh, maybe some elk gear or something. I need to talk coordinate that with Alex. Um, but, uh, and who knows, maybe I'll have uh, Cody jump back on for a 15 or 20 minute episode to talk a little gear with us and maybe some more of his exercise routine, um, uh, what he does for elk. But I wanted to do kind of a little mini series on, on, uh, <clears throat> elk hunting. Uh, we, we've definitely talked to elk in the past on the podcast, but, uh, I want to do a deeper dive this year. It's timely guys have drawn their tags. They know if they're going to be, um, archery elk hunting here in the next month and a half and uh just thought it'd be a good time to do that so cody thank you very much for helping me break the ice on that <clears throat> you're a great yeah, guy great me. oh for sure man it's a ton of fun talking with you hearing your stories hearing your insight and and what's worked for you in the past and and your perspective that's that's what we're interested in that's what tells the best the best uh story that's the best content for the listeners i think when when we get to hear that and i think it's most useful because you're a real person putting these strategies into play and you're obviously finding success from doing it so it's uh it's critically important for uh not just the listeners but me as well and it helps give alex insight too as he plans hunts for people and and gives him some ideas and stories to to share and another contact to to maybe bounce things off of or uh connect other people with uh Mm -hmm. so just a just a great opportunity to talk elk Please remember this podcast is presented by Spartan Forge. Spartan Forge believes in what we're doing here at First Gen Hunter. Uh, They support us uh, by being our leading sponsor, the presenting sponsor, and uh, they have really been easy to work with because they stand behind what they do and uh, they believe in what they're doing. And uh, they really mostly meaning Bill. I know there's some other people involved, but Bill Thompson, uh, the founder of Spartan Forge, former military intelligence, uh, in fact, retired military intelligence, I should say, was at it for such a long time, took those skills to the deer woods, designed this incredibly powerful app, Alex has used it. Um, you can actually see Alex using it if you uh, look at, I believe, his latest uh, film on uh, YouTube with uh, his uh, Kansas whitetail hunt from last year. And uh, you can uh, see uh, Alex using that uh, exactly how it's designed to be used. I use it a ton, uh, almost daily. I actually used it while I was on vacation down in North Carolina. We uh, had to park in a parking garage, and I'm like, I know how I'll find my way back here drop this little pin right here and uh and uh made it happen so worked great and uh you know you can use it for all sorts of things but obviously deer hunting is the best there's more coming here for western hunting very soon Um, you can certainly use the mapping out there if uh, you would like but uh 
Bill is working on some really cool stuff coming up with other species out west, and uh, there'll be more details on that when it's ready to to roll out. But um, you can you can uh, truly see that he pours his heart and soul into it. It's a wonderful product, one that uh, you can download for free, and uh, you get the benefits of the mapping. But if you want more than just the mapping, you want to get the deer behavior prediction, you want the journaling access, you want uh, the weather data and so forth, you're going to need to pay for a a subscription, and it is very affordable. You can do it for just a monthly payment and uh, use it for those months that uh, are most uh, useful to you. Or if you're like me and Alex and Caleb, you're going to just pay for the whole year-long thing because you're always thinking about it all year long, and you want to be best prepared for that. So uh, you can find the link in these show notes. Or you can go to my Instagram profile and uh, go to my bio, and you'll find it as one of the top links there. Uh, Go there, download it, subscribe. You won't regret it. It's a great product. Then also, of course, once again, Alex Gruen of East West Hunts. Uh, Alex joining us on this podcast tonight. You're just not going to have a better guy in your corner. It's it's plain and simple. You know, think of think of all the the best like uh, boxing movies. It's yes, you got the you know you got the hero, you got Rocky, but without without Mick, who's Rocky? You know what I mean? You got to have Mick in your corner. And Alex, I love it. He's not quite as crusty as uh, as Mick, but nope. uh, he'll coach you up. He'll give you that tough love, and he'll uh, put you in the best. He'll put you in the best position to uh, get it done. Fill that tag. So talk to Alex. Go to eastwesthunts.com. You can find that link in the show notes, of course. And uh, you can go that way, or you can just, you know, go to the website, eastwesthunts.com. It's that easy. And uh, when you do, you can see everything Alex offers, gear rentals, uh, full-on, complete, sweet hunt planning service where he's going to, he's going to, you know, buy your points for you. He'll send in applications for you. He'll help you, uh, you know, manage your points, and he'll tell you when you should be applying for things. He'll take care of all of it, or maybe you want to do some of the DIY stuff. Well, then he'll be there as a listening ear and give you advice on, on uh, you know, what he thinks is their best approach. And then also he'll wrench you the gear and send you waypoints and so forth. So sign up with Alex. Get those services. They are the best you can access as a hunter, and especially if you're a first-gen hunter. We have such a steep learning curve. Having a good hunt planner is critically important. Use the promo code FIRSTGEN10 when you check out, and you'll save yourself 10% off of that service. So, Alex, thank you so much for your uh, dedication to this podcast through the years. Um, I think we've grown a lot, and uh, you deserve such a huge piece of that credit, man. So appreciate you believing in uh, First Gen Hunter, believing in me, and being a good friend, and uh, being a good a good resource for our listeners. So, Thanks so much for joining me again, Cody. Thank you, man. You're welcome back anytime. You're a great storyteller. You have a lot of great insight, a lot of great experience. Um, so tell that to your uh, bow hunting buddy. That's why you ended up on the podcast. Tell him maybe if he practices with his bow a little bit more, he'll end up on here someday too. But Oh, man. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just messing. 
But uh, I love this. No, I love this. <laughs> I'm going to make him listen to this all the way to the end. <laughs> oh, I love it. No, I'm sure he's a good buddy. If he's messing with you, he's got to be a good friend. Good friends mess oh, with each one other. Of my, he's my best friend, yeah. That's awesome, man. Um, yeah, important to have guys like that. But, but no, thank you, gents, and thank you to everyone listening in. If you haven't yet, please leave a five-star review. I've been seeing them coming in. I've been hearing from you guys. You've been reaching out to me. You got a couple of comments uh, uh, from, uh, I think, uh, DM on on uh, Instagram and someone sent me a text. Um, just awesome hearing from you guys. Love hearing that. That's the best part of it, getting that listener feedback. So please weigh in. Uh, let me know what's going on. And uh, please leave those reviews if you haven't yet. That helps get this podcast featured and get into more listening ears. And hunting season's almost here, people. Hold tight. It's going to be here before you know it. Keep practicing your bow. Get in shape. Mm-hmm. Get your gear dialed. Talk to Alex. Use the promo code. All that stuff. And until next time, take care and take someone home.